she uh, received the stigmata at age 23 after she took, took part in communion. And you can look up pictures of this. It's actually depicted in art, and it almost she's standing before a crucifixion of Christ, and it almost looks like laser beams are coming out of the crucifixion and hitting her in her hands and, and her feet. And But here's the thing with her. She felt the pain of the stigmata, but nobody could see it. It wasn't until after she died that it actually appeared on her body. So it's kind of interesting. Now, like I said, I'm not looking for any of us to have the marks of Christ like that, the marks of Christ's blood. What does it truly mean to have Christ's blood on me? See, the thing is, Catherine of Siena, her true marks of Christ, when we look at her life, was that she was a woman of prayer, just like Jesus was a man of prayer. She was also known in her time as a teacher and a prophet, just like Jesus. And Catherine of Siena lived in a very stratified society. There were nobles and, and peasants and everything. And Catherine of Siena spoke to everybody. She taught everyone. That's her marks of being like Jesus. Not so marks on her hands or on her feet, even though she felt that pain. And so, what's our mark of Jesus today? Today we're going to be talking about a mark of Jesus' blood is when I can fearlessly proclaim Jesus as king. When I can fearlessly proclaim Jesus as king, I am marked by the blood of Christ. Our scripture passage today is John 19, 1 through 22. Um, if you're at home, you can be using your Bibles to follow along. I also encourage you to use the Version Bible app. There's not only our scripture there, but our notes and uh, Bible study tools for you to use in small groups or for your own personal study throughout the week. But I'll read the passage, John 19, 1 through 22. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping him in his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and in accordance to that law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know I have the power don't you know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him. But the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Aramaic, Gabbatha. 
It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. And he told the Jews, Here is your king. They shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself, and he went out to <clears throat> what is called Place of the Skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest said to Pilate, Don't write King of the Jews, but he said, I, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. You might not be able to see it from home, but we've added to our cross that's on the, on the wall the crown of thorns. Because that's what we're going to be focusing on today. As Before we get into this passage, we're going to be looking at particularly about the crown of thorns that, that was placed on Jesus' head today. But Philippians 2.10 tells us, you know, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Eventually, everybody will do this. And it, when I look at what the soldiers and Pilate did this particular day that we're described today, I realize, you know, some people are going to proclaim Jesus as Lord and King willingly. Yes, Jesus is my King. There are some people who are probably going to do it begrudgingly. They never wanted Jesus to be King, but when Jesus places all things under his control, they will have to say, yes, Jesus is King, despite my efforts to not have him be king. And I also think there are some people who will proclaim Jesus king unwittingly. They won't even know they're doing it. And yet they will do it. Because I think that's what we're seeing here today in this passage. You know, Jesus pro- did proclaim himself king. That is what the uh, religious leaders are accusing Jesus of. And guess what? He did it. Jesus did proclaim himself king. They said, we have a law. According to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When you make yourself the son of God, you are king. And Jesus did proclaim himself the son of God. He, he did it. He proclaimed it to his disciples. In Luke 9-2, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. So he's saying, hey, Tell people the kingdom of God is here because I'm here. <laughs> when uh, one in uh, recorded in Matthew seventeen twenty five and twenty six, Jesus is approached about paying the temple tax, and he talks to Peter, and he says, when he went inside the house, Jesus spoke first. He says, "What do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or strangers?" From strangers, Peter said. Then sons are free, Jesus told him. Jesus said, I don't have to pay taxes. Why? Because he's the king. The king doesn't pay taxes. 
So Jesus proclaimed straight to his disciples that he was king and God. Jesus also proclaimed himself God and king to the religious leaders. A passage that we talked about last week in John eight fifty three, Jesus told them, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. He took the, the title of God, I am, and said, that's me. And they knew that, that he was proclaimed to be God. When Jesus was being tried before the uh, religious leaders, before he ever came to Pilate, Mark 14, 61 and 62 says, But he kept silent and did not answer. And again the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said, and you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds in heaven. He, told, he didn't say much, but when he spoke, he said, I'm king. And Jesus also proclaimed himself to be king to Pilate. Again, he didn't say a lot to Pilate, but in John 18, 36 and 37, he tells Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus told people he was king. He told his disciples, he told his enemies, he told Pilate. He claimed the kingship. You know, we don't make anybody king that doesn't actually claim to be king. I was going to show a video this morning, if you were all here in the room. It's linked in your notes. From Lord of the Rings, there's a point, Aragorn, who is a key figure in the Lord of the Rings, He's should be king, but he doesn't want to be king. He's afraid he's going to fail as king. But at some point, he takes the king's sword, and he goes to Minas Morgul. That is the city of the dead. There's a bunch of ghosts there that as king he can command. So he goes down into this underground city and the ghosts come out and they are going to kill him. But he says, I'm going to tell you what to do. And it's really cool how they do it in the movie. The ghost comes in with his ghostly sword to kill him and Aragorn blocks him with the king's sword. He blocks a ghost, and the ghost is shocked. He says, that line was broken. But Aragorn, at this point, claims the kingship and says, it's been remade. He says, he's saying, I'm king. And from that point on, he can command the armies of the dead. So we don't make someone king who doesn't have a real claim to that throne. And we also evaluate that claim. Peter, when he preached at the day of Pentecost, he told the people to evaluate the claim of Jesus. Acts 2, 22-24, Peter preaches, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. 
God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Peter says, he said he was king, and God proved he was king. Look at all the things he did, including raising from the dead. Romans 5 says, pictures heaven, and it says that there's no one found in heaven and earth except Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, but now lives, who's worthy to open the scroll, to claim the kingship. Jesus is the only person, the only being, who has a valid claim to rule over heaven and earth. I don't rule. You don't rule. Trump doesn't rule. The CDC doesn't rule. The Illuminati doesn't rule. Coronavirus doesn't rule. Jesus is king. So Jesus claims to be king. Why wasn't then he acknowledged as king? when he was on the earth. Today, I'm going to make the case that he was. Jesus was crowned king. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In our passage today in John 19, 1 through 22, this is a coronation. It is the worst coronation ever. But it's still a coronation. Because, first of all, the army proclaimed Jesus king. Two armies, in fact. The first army is the angelic army, the, ar- the heavenly host. Recall from last week when Jesus is praying in the garden before he is arrested in Luke twenty two forty three, the angels came from heaven and appeared to him and gave him strength. And when the soldiers came to arrest him, we have recorded in Matthew twenty six, fifty two and fifty three. Now Peter's pulled out his sword and he's ready to kill people. He actually chops off some guy's ear, and Jesus tells him, Put your sword back in its place, because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or Do you not think that I cannot call on my Father and He will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? He says, I've got an army. They've already been serving me while I've been praying. The angels know Jesus is King. But what about an earthly army? The Roman army is also declaring Jesus King. Look at the things he did. They, Matthew, now I'm going to jump over to Matthew 27, 27 through 31, because this gives us some more detail than our other passage about what the soldiers actually did. Matthew 27, 27 through 31, it says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns put it on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews! 
Then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. Now, I'm not questioning the motives. Their motives are clear from the text. They are there to make fun of Jesus. They are there to hurt Jesus. But in their mocking, look at what they're actually doing. They took Jesus to the governor's mansion. The whole company surrounded him. They dressed him in a scarlet robe. Now, here's something I hadn't thought about for a while. Where in the world did these soldiers get a scarlet robe from? There were different kinds of purple purple robes, purple clothing. It was all called a purple, but there were different kind of levels of purple. The highest level of purple was just what we think of as purple color today. And that was royal purple or divine purple. They probably didn't have that. There was a more common purple that uh, a high-ranking person would take into battle. And it's kind of, we're not quite sure what color that was, but it might have been purple with a little white mixed in. It was probably of a tougher cloth. And then there was the lowest level of purple that actually had a little bit of purple and a lot of red on it. That was what soldiers used so when they were in battle, the blood wouldn't show. That was also called purple. They definitely had that. And here's the thing. An execution squad always wore all red. That was still called purple, but the execution squad wore red, but it was called purple. So they are putting purple on him, which we would call kingly stuff, but most likely what they are putting on him are the death robes. The death robes of the execution. They are making him the king of the dead. So they take him to the governor's residence. The whole army troop is there. They dress him in, in the robes. They put a crown on his head. That's what you do for a king. They put a staff in his hand. That's what you do for a king. As I said, their motives are clear. They're not trying to make him king. They, they declare him king of the Jews. They make a pronouncement. It's pretend. But think about this. Don't ever ask me to pretend officiate your pretend wedding at the Renaissance Fair or the Comic Con. Because I'm a real pastor and you may find yourself really married. (laughs) The soldiers are making fun of Jesus. They're using him for a brutal sport. But regardless, they did the whole ceremony. You know, it's difficult to be king without support of the army. I thought I'd do a quick 
historical look at different times that armies have done coup d'etat and I could teach a whole semester's history class on when armies did coup d'etats. It happens all the time. Just around the time of Jesus, uh, or actually before the time of Jesus, in uh, 87 B.C. and 82 B.C., there was uh, uh, Sulla's civil wars in Rome where the army took over the government. In B.C. 49, Julius Caesar brought in the army and took over. After the time of Jesus, or about just shortly after, uh, A.D. 41, the emperor Caligula was killed by his own bodyguard. 1799, Napoleon. That's the army taking over. 1832 and 1839, Santa Ana takes over Mexico with the army. One interesting one I found, 1959, the Navy in Thailand tried to take over. They couldn't, successful, so then the Army, same year, took over. (laughs) There are historical counts right up to last year. In 2019, the military of Sudan took over the government. You know, Aragorn, back to our Lord of the Rings, he needed the army of Minas Morgul and the army of the dead they wanted to kill him but they made him king you know I thought about it over the last couple of weeks you know there's there are several Christian army themed songs that have happened throughout the years and God is absolutely pictured in scripture as a mighty warrior But God's army is the host of heaven. It's not us. We are heirs with Christ. It's not that we don't, you know, the, it's the army that gives, the host that gives its allegiance to Jesus, and he is the captain of the host, the scriptures tell us. And even though technically, theologically, I I'm not part of the army. It says something powerful to me about Jesus as king when God can cause the army that opposes Jesus, the army that wants to kill Jesus, to crown him king. If those who don't want to acknowledge Jesus as king crown him king, how should I live as someone who actually does say Jesus is king? I mean, which side would you want to be on? The side that brutally makes fun of the king or the side that rules with the king? I know which side I pick. So Jesus declared himself king. The army declared Jesus king. And the government proclaimed Jesus king. Pilate went outside again and said to him, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, Here's the man. Pilate is the governor. He's a Roman official. 
he declares Jesus innocent. He said, this is not a criminal. And how does Pilate bring Jesus out? Wearing the robes and the crown. This is interesting. If you think about this, Barabbas is also brought out this time. And we're going to get into this next week. Scourging was something that was done preliminary to crucifixion generally. So Barabbas would have been scourged and whipped as well. That was something that was done to somebody while they were completely naked. So Barabbas is brought out, and he's probably staying there whipped and naked. Pilate brings Jesus out dressed. Pilate is also afraid of Jesus. It says that. He, 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 when he finds out that Jesus declared himself to be the Son of God, he's scared. Now, he's also scared of Caesar. He's also afraid of the Jewish leaders. He's scared of a lot of people. But one of the people he is afraid of is Jesus. Pilate has no authority over Jesus that isn't granted. And Pilate proclaims Jesus king. He says it verbally. He says to the people, should I crucify your king? The governor just said he's king. And the reason why we went all the way to verse 22, he did it in writing. When Jesus is crucified on the cross, Pilate has a sign made and it says, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And he puts it in three languages up there. Okay, when the governor puts it in writing, that's the law. He legally said, Jesus is king of the Jews. And when they said, no, don't write that, he says, oh, he wrote it. That's the law. He's, he's the king. It's kind of funny, and, you know, I, I have no, no horse in the political race. <laughs> But I remember after Donald Trump became president and was inaugurated, I was listening to a radio station, and they had a call-in show, and they wanted people to call in, and here was their starting question. They said, Donald Trump, should we give him a chance? And I laughed, because I said in my car, he's already president. By the vote, by the Constitution, by the inauguration, he's Already president. What do you mean give him a chance? He's already president. The same thing, you know, and just in the last month, I still see stuff about President Barack Obama. Is he a citizen? He was already president. He was voted in twice, inaugurated twice. His term is over. It's too late. But people were afraid of what Donald Trump might do as president. People were afraid of what Barack Obama would do as president. Whether the world recognizes it or not, Jesus is king already. But some people are afraid of Jesus. See, fear causes us to act foolishly and even sometimes unconscionably. 
Pilate condemned an innocent man to death because he was afraid. We still do that today. I think about our death penalty. I wonder if our society executes murderers not merely out of a sense of justice, but because we're afraid of what those people will do. I'm not saying it's an unjustified fear. I'm just saying it's a fear. I think some people abort babies because we are afraid of the responsibility of children. I think some people have sex outside of marriage because we are afraid of being alone. I think society still has people who are enslaved and still oppress people because we are afraid of being poor. We are racist because we are afraid of other. We hoard toilet paper and buy guns to protect our hoard of toilet paper because we are afraid. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus says, Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's what he's saying. You know, he's not saying don't take care of yourself, but he says, no, the king takes care of you. We fear all these things, and yet Jesus says in Matthew ten twenty eight, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. You better respect the king. But I don't fear because I know who's king. Jesus is king. I remember I, I watched a documentary on the coronation of Elizabeth II. It was really interesting to watch. They prepared this coronation ceremony takes like a whole day, and they spend much time preparing her for this because. With all the ceremony, it's a long day plus the, the regalia that they put on her. It actually weighs a lot. She has to wear this heavy robe. And they give her a crown that has, that's made out of gold and has all these jewels on it. It's literally heavy. And she's got to wear it on her head. And she's got this scepter with all this gold and stuff and it's heavy and she's got to carry it. And this sphere ball that she's got to hold. And the documentary talked about how she literally felt the weight of the office because she had all this heavy stuff that she's got to hold up in her coronation. And the crown they put on Jesus is a crown of thorns. And the staff that they put in, the hand, in his hand is one they're hitting him on the head with. Jesus just didn't carry the weight of those objects. He carried the sins of the world. That's my king. Romans 8, 31-32. What are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who's against us? 
He did not spare even his own son, but offered him up for us all. Will he not also with him grant us everything? See, the thing is, because Jesus is king, I don't fear dying. Because Jesus is king, I also don't fear living. Because Jesus is king, I don't fear COVID-19. Because Jesus is king, I don't fear the government, no matter who's in power. Because my king saved me by not saving himself. Let's pray. From Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Lord Jesus King, we thank you that you are our protector. There is no fear in love. And you are a king who loves. Lord, today, reign in us. Reign in our world. Use us as your people to drive out fear. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our king. Amen.